freak from Seattle, that city of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia this morning. It's morning time. <laughs> sun is shining in to the boat. Uh, Brian, uh, for some reason, has his curtains drawn because mm-hmm. he uh, is obviously not aware of the importance of uh, sunlight on his circadian rhythm and all bodily functions. Not one ounce of natural light in this room right now. Uh, okay. Uh, so we're here to talk about Ryan's vitamin D deficiency. <laughs> I'm also guessing he's not supplementing. We're uh, here. No, no, no. I've been taking uh, B12 supplements, so I'm good I to go. I meant with vitamin D, but... Sure. No, no, I don't need um, that one. If you take B12, no. you're fine. You, yeah, sure. Sure you are. Um, 12 of them, Greg. It's okay. Uh, yeah, Brian, B... Never mind. Um, It feels bad, man. <laughs> Well, you know, look, it takes some time to adjust to freaking in the evening, which is what we normally do to freaking in the morning, which is what we're doing now. Yeah, no, I'm I'm enjoying being up uh, early and chatting with my friend, Brian, uh, too bad when you couldn't make it today. Oh, um, so you, you mean the world feels bad? Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> the world feels very bad, Brian. Like, it's nice to be here with you and talk about it. But like, you know, I think maybe because we're primed for it because it's emotionally easier all kinds of reasons like our initial reactions at least on the podcast and i I think you know emotionally for myself about this uh latest uh heavy salvo against reproductive rights in america was to get angry at uh you know our our political system at the democrats um at the haplessness of the people who are supposed to be defending us and people even more vulnerable than us. And, you know, I think that's all well and good. I'm not apologizing for that. But, you know, it's just taken more time for uh, the real horror of this to, like, seep in on a different level. And it's really uh, it's really bumming me the fuck out. It's scary, man. <laughs> like, uh, this is not I mean, it's no uh, no news to me that this is uh, not a good place. That America is extremely bad, that we're on a uh, path to a some kind of uh, late capitalist fascism, uh, whatever that's going to look like. But this does seem emotionally, I mean, I'm at a very different place in my life, but like this seems like a different, this seems like to, to be qualitatively different and more worrying, more immediate than say other like you know major uh evidence against uh the continuation of america in my lifetime like you know something that i maybe really wanted to care about at the time uh even if i wasn't able to completely muster it and now don't really care about like say something stupid like the uh stealing of the 2000 election or something right like mm-hmm. huh, uh you know, things that, uh, you know, undermine your faith in democracy uh, or the horror of, you know, being just sort of lied and propagandized and swindled into invading another country and like murdering a bunch of its people and destroying it, bombing it back to the Stone Age in 2003. Uh, finding out the CIA is like torturing lots of people all over the world. I mean, I don't know. There's some, you know. All these other all this these other major events in that have radicalized people 
in this country over our lifetimes are uh, on the one hand, like, you know, betrayals of theoretical niceties like electoral democracy in America or um, externalized violence, uh, the empire doing its work abroad. Whereas in some ways it was possible to feel like um, there were some constraints left on that violence here in the metropole. Not that it, mm-hmm. that violence was constrained. Uh, the empire has always worked inward in America. Uh, it's always been a violent police state, uh, certainly against poor and non-white people. White people, when they've tried to stand in solidarity with uh, uh, those other people or uh, and in, you know, uh, labor solidarity. Uh, but like, you know, this is a different Thing. This is like a part of the social contract of the last, you know, generation in America that felt legitimately somehow politically sacrosanct, as stupid as that sounds. And it's like, and again, it's not like we didn't see this coming, like for the last many years after, especially the Trump uh, appointees. But like, you know, we know this is where the the right wants to go in this country. But like, it felt like. Um, like, for example, you know, there was a moment in 2020 when people were in the streets in solidarity against state violence against black people in this country. And at the same time, we were, uh, had, you know, at least some little bit of hope in the project in an attempt maybe to sort of shift the trajectory the trajectory of American politics, not just in the street for, you know, black lives and against the pigs, but, you know, maybe by, uh, electorally by putting in, uh, you know, us on a different path with Bernie Sanders or something. And like another road was possible. Another road, maybe if unlikely, and it's not like we ever completely bought into the likelihood of that, but there was a question at least, right? There was this Mm. real question about uh, whether ground could be held and and advanced, right? Mm -hmm. That on both counts was completely dashed, like completely no gains were made. And indeed the power of the police state has only been increased. You know, again, we can complain that it's the Democrats giving them more money, but like it's, ultimately bigger than that now um just the fact that it failed the 2020 uprisings is just politically a major uh boon to the forces of reaction like it it buoys the the cops in enormous ways uh and then yeah and bernie failing like just you know showed us okay that that compromise the idea of like doing like the post-war british did it putting in like nominal socialists to like slowly start to wind down the empire over decades and build a social welfare state, get universal health care in America in the next decade. Yeah, totally off the table. Ridiculous. And then that makes me think this is the wages of that, you know, like, of course, this is that's almost that's why they can do this now, you know? It's been shown like we the there we don't have the strength in the streets. We don't have the solidarity of uh, among labor in this country. There is no power, uh, but capital and the weird freaks they employ to, you know, run the country the way they want to. And now that means I'm, yeah, you know, struck, haunted by the terror of um, 
the the actual reality of this of just a lot more people than already were being genuinely, you know, terrified about losing this autonomy over their bodies, over their health care in a time when they really f- fucking might need it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's going to permeate uh, life in America. This the ability of uh, the state to control again, as it already we've talked about, as it already is doing in so many other ways, but also to threaten to threaten this. It's going to be a part of every of everybody's life in America every day in a way that it was before, but it will increase, you know, it's in a scary way. I'm yeah. sorry. I, you know, I'm not being very articulate here, but I, I don't like it, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other day, or actually, uh, you know, for the last like four or five days, I've kind of been thinking about this uh, same thing, which is there's a guy I follow on Twitter named Pete Kraska, who I've actually been following his career since the early 2000s. He's one of the original guys who is writing about policing, right? And like in the 90s was like sounding the alarm that maybe telling these guys that they're essentially in the army and giving them tanks. Like I've hung out with a lot of them and it seems like it might be bad. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like they seem to be developing a politics that is pretty bad and that maybe we should be concerned about in some way, right? Pete Kraska has been a very early on the alarm guy. And over like the last five days, he basically has been like, you know, like he just had a tweet this morning where he was like, you know, what happens when the rule of law from like individual police officers all the way up to the Supreme Court is considered completely illegitimate by a huge portion of the population? And he's like, well, you know, maybe we're going to get to find out. Right. And, you know, he's been using the F word a lot as in fascism, which you're not allowed to use in academia. Um, and I was wondering, I was like, you know, what going are- for broke. I was like, I wonder what's going on with Pete, because, you know, like he was there in the 90s. You know, he was like on the ground, like, you know, doing the first like cultural histories of SWAT teams and stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. He, you know, he certainly was there for the Bush era. You know, he remembers, you know, lying us into Iraq. He remembers the attack on Muslims afterwards, all that kind of stuff. You know, so why is this thing the thing that pushes it over? And then I remembered because history doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not single articulate events that happen and then you just react to it without context, right? That what we're seeing now, it's not that this decision vis-a-vis Roe v. Wade is, you know, like, oh, this is the worst thing that has ever happened in this country of which many awful things have happened. It's the culmination of so many elements, right? You know, it's the culmination Mm -hmm. of not doing anything about the 2000 election, the culmination of, you know, letting Muslims have their rights be just completely stripped and like people put on, you know, 100,000 people put on a fucking no fly list because of their last name, right? Or, you know, people being spied on and things like that by, you know, various police departments because they happen to be Muslim, right? Uh, It's the culmination of, you know, so easily falling for the Iraq war lie that everybody at the time saw was a lie. And the only question was mm-hmm. whether or not you were going to go for it. You know, um, you know, all those events just one by one by one. Right. And the slow realization that, yeah, capitalists figured out they can do whatever they want. And there's mm-hmm. literally nothing to stop them. Now, in the past, they had fears, right? They were, you know, they had been chastened by a labor movement in the 30s, 40s and 50s. You know, they had fears of, you know, just left radicalism that were stoked in the 60s and things like that. But they've slowly learned that they don't actually have to be afraid of anything. 
that there is no left force that's going to stand against them in this country. It's been thoroughly destroyed via you know things like Pro, just regular everyday policing, etc. Right. Uh, the, by liberal politics, uh, by the university yeah. system, right? Like all these things have thoroughly destroyed the left, right? You know, hopefully our only hope is to rebuild it at this point, but that's the current status, right? And, you know, that the Democratic Party has not only shown itself to be what it's always been, which is a, you know, a flack of capital, but has shown itself to not only be completely unresponsive to its voting base, but actively hostile to it. Right. You know, which is a, yeah. a whole other thing, like not even for votes are they willing to get their voting base, you know, angry or upset. Right. That they're, they're not even willing to, like, rouse them in any way. Right. Uh, they just want, you know, they their whole platform at this point is just telling their voters to shut up. Um, and because of that, it, you know, anything is possible in a way that it wasn't before. <laughs> right. For uh, for conservatives, for the capitalist class. Right. The world is their oyster. They very clearly can do whatever they want in this country with nothing standing in their way. Now, mm -hmm. as an example of this, uh, you know, we talked about last week and people should, you know, if you haven't listened to go back and listen, we gave a sort of brief history of like the anti-abortion movement and the Democratic response to it and uh, talked about how useless the Democratic Party is going to be in this fight. And True to form, uh, last week they didn't pass any legislation to codify Roe v. Wade in law, something that would make this whole discussion completely moot right but they they didn't uh didn't bother it's to weird because because ostensibly they are for abortion rights yeah. right so yeah and they control yeah. the house senate and presidency which you would be forgiven if you forgot that democrats control both the legislative and executive branches right uh for some reason we're told over and over again they don't and um, yeah. and that they you know and that there's no possible way they can do anything but they actually do you'd, i mean this is breaking news <laughs> if you felt impotent and pathetic pointing this out yeah. you should, you'd be forgiven if you felt like um you should just drown yourself rather than complain about the democrats again but go on <laughs> yeah and so you know they didn't bother to do anything legislatively uh but it's not exactly true hey well we'll get to that but, you know, people did go out in the streets. I mean, I, I honestly thought the protests were a little more muted than maybe I would have expected or something. But, you know, I, yeah. I mean, kind of in line, you know, is that there'll be a brief flurry and then they'll kind of fizzle out. But there were some spirited in the D.C. area protests that uh, went to the various Supreme Court justices' houses, most notably uh, Kavanaugh's house and protests outside of him. And to that, the Democrats did have a response. Alito had, Alito's house had a big, uh, uh, big group uh, yesterday maybe the day before yeah and to that you know the democrats couldn't respond to people being upset about roe v wade being overturned they couldn't bother with that but they did have a response to these protests and this is from uh, the uh, current white house press secretary future msnbc uh host jen pisaki uh, she likes to be called the PSAC, and she tweeted you know he is stored in jen saki actually <laughs> but uh she tweeted that at POTUS is in Joe Biden, right? Joe Biden strongly believes in the constitutional right to protest. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I wonder if there's something else. Oh, wait, hold on. There's, there's more to this. But oh. the fact that you have to say that, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> but that should never include violence, threats or vandalism. None of which happens. Although, you know, obviously it probably should have, but didn't. Yeah. But like the, these protests were extremely tame. Yeah. 
Judges perform an incredibly important function in our society. Citation needed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, no, I mean, that's true. Uh, they <laughs> yeah, launder yeah. the fucking judgment, the uh, the will of capital to punish the population, like through some fucking mystical ceremonies. Yeah. Um, also, uh, you know, not to get pedantic here, but the people we're talking about aren't uh, judges per se. Yeah. Uh, they must be able to do their jobs without concern for their personal safety. And, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for this system to keep on functioning the way it does, that is correct. Well, I think the thing is, is that basically the Democratic Party, I mean, I, you know, for our listeners, this is probably nothing new. And I really don't mean this to be an I told you so or anything, but the Democratic Party is going to do nothing. What they're going to do is tell you to stop protesting and to shut up. That's their job at this point. It's just to tell you to shut the fuck up. All right. Just let it happen. Shut up. Right. And uh, that's been the entire message from the Democratic Party since then. All the way to the point now of they looked at some of the tamest protests in the world and were like, you guys have to stop that immediately. Um, and it's uh, it's you know, it's, it's I could see why this is incredibly disheartening. Um, and all I could say is you have to abandon this party. We've been saying this since the show started, but like you, you have to abandon this fucking party. Like, I don't know what attachments people still have to this fucking party. Obviously some people do. I don't know. I was alive in 2000 and a voting age and shit. So I, I have zero attachment to this fucking party. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to cut I, the strings on this fucking party. Well, I, I mean, you know, it's, you, you can say that, but it's like, what are we really saying when we say, you know, you have to to do that, like emotionally for yourself, yes. for your for your honor, you know, for for your dignity? Yeah, sure. But I mean, that's not I mean, no, the entire country, liberal America would have to do that. But it's I mean, that there's those two things are synonymous. Like, it doesn't matter, you know, no, to they're going to keep doing their thing to build anything on the left. People yeah. on the left have to cut their attachments to this party. That means yeah. their emotional attachments. Their feelings that this party is can or will do anything to help them stop bad things. Whatever lie you've told yourself, you know, over your lifetime about the Democratic Party, why it's okay to support them in any way. That means even in the most modest way of just saying it's important to vote, right? Whatever lie you've been telling yourself, you got to cut it, right? Because only by cutting that can you then realize the reality in front of you and what is, you know, what is called of you. Right? Like what, it, what is going to be needed, of you, right? Which is uh, not caring. You have to stop caring about elections, right? You need to start participating. I mean, this is what we talked about at the end of the last you know, episode. You need to start working with local organizations where you start building deep like community ties and trust. You need to start using those organizations to reach out to people who aren't just fucking online or in college, right? And you have to start building working class organizations. There is none in the United States. So you have to start building them. That's, that's just all there is to it. Nobody likes that answer because it, it's a lot of hard work and it involves, you know, probably decades of struggle and things like that. And, and a real chance is, of going to jail, getting killed, yeah, all that kind of yeah. stuff. But that's the and only everything in, in our lives, in the political economy of this country, like is designed to prevent that. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's it's the hardest possible path. Right. But, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what more evidence can be 
mounted at this point that it's the only available path, right? Other than just giving in and just letting this wash over you. But I mean, you know, uh, if 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 neoliberalism has you know finally perfected the like alienation of labor such that it is impossible to organize on that basis um you know maybe the thing is to like move to a place where there's a uh a a anti-capitalist left nationalist struggle that still has some pull and just like get out of america that's all i can think about like uh of like what 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 could work it's like i don't know what could work in america but like you know um there are other other locuses of uh focuses of struggle that you know are alive in the world i don't know yeah well you know uh you know, escaping the country always sounds good until you uh, actually see what it involves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's not an option, obviously, for yeah, uh, almost anybody. Yeah, and hopefully you have family and community here that you actually give a shit about in some way uh, and are committed to stay here. But look, I mean, somebody's going to have to be here in the end to prevent the United States from nuking the entire world, right? <laughs> and, you know, so you can't just run away from the country that is the source of all violence on the planet, right? Yeah. Somebody has to be here to press the button that, that, that says yeah. no, you know? You like, want to uh, take a little digression here? I watched the, because I can't help myself, I, I just, because I, I hate myself, and because it's it's like just a part of me at this point, I watched the new pilot for yet another goddamn Star Trek show, um, and it it wasn't it wasn't terrible it's called strange new worlds and for some reason it's about the enterprise uh crew before kirk like characters from the original unused pilot of star trek blah 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 um captain pike the the bruce greenwood character from the jj abrams movies doesn't matter um it wasn't good but it wasn't terrible like some of the other stuff they put out over the last few years. Um, but it did something interesting. I mean, the whole plot was kind of this very lazy sort of just hand wave. Like no, no one could write a story anymore. Um, that was like Captain Pike and Spock do uh, the day the earth stood still, but to some other planet that's like involved in a massive like war. And they're thinking of nuking each other, you know, um, without getting into what I think about that. Um, it, it wasn't very well done, but the uh he you know uh captain pike uh gives this uh, little history lesson with complete with uh multimedia presentation to the <laughs> uh warring alien factions where he expands on um the what we know in the star trek canon of 21st century history um which is like that there's a massive uh nuclear world war 3 in the mid in the middle of this century in uh, Star Trek lore expands it uh, by saying that uh, it is precipitated first by a second American civil war <laughs> and makes very clear that uh, World War Three is started by America <laughs> in the aftermath of its own civil war. And also, if I I didn't like pause or rewind, but confirm something that I've always said in my head canon is that 
because you've it's never been mentioned ever since. And that is that uh, the city of New York is completely leveled um, by uh, in in World War Three. So I don't know. You know, hey, um, it looks like new it, openings in New York real estate coming soon. No, that anyway, th- that was the main thing I appreciated from that. Um, I think that seems like a uh, that along with um, uh, the prediction of Irish reunification in the 2020s. Um, is, you know, I think we're on track for all of this. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't mean to sound or uh, make this alarmist or whatever. The thing is, is that American capitalists, given the option of losing their power, right, losing their position uh, nationally and maybe even on the world stage, their like answer to that is to destroy the planet it has been for decades now. I mean, Daniel mm-hmm. Ellsberg, I mean, everybody remembers the Pentagon Papers, his big hit. He's like the Stones. Everybody remembers uh, his albums from 1970. But nobody remembers that maybe there was a good one the later. Early, the early, the early stuff. Oh, the, the later stuff. No, there's like no good later stones? stuff. This is a bad example because there's no good later stones. Up, but but the point about Ellsberg is, much later in his life, in the 2000s, he released some papers that from back when he was at Rand in the you know, 1950s. Yeah, and I was going to say his early work was not great, actually. <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, everything he releases is from that early work. But you know, yeah. you need guys like this on some level, yeah, right? Yeah. But yeah. he, you know, he released some paperwork about the U.S. nuclear policy that was being discussed in the 1950s and 60s, and that basically they were accepting killing off one third of the planet was acceptable casualties uh, should they come into some sort of conflict with the Soviet Union, right? And the basic premise of this was in order for the U.S. to maintain its position, you know, as the top global capitalist, right, as the richest capitalist class that the world has ever seen. They were actively planning to kill, essentially. And by the way, killing a third of the planet would kill everybody. On this. I mean, civilization, as you know, it would cease to exist. You can't lose one third of all people. Like, that's actually not an acceptable loss. Right? I, I know that capitalists don't think that people do anything all day and that we just lean on the machines and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but people actually are doing stuff. They're, 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 you know, farming the farms, you know, making the factories run, all that kind of stuff, right? If you killed a third of the planet, the civilization would cease existing pretty much instantaneously. I mean, forget the environmental impacts and all that kind of stuff, right? But that was their plan. Like, that was Mm -hmm. the active going plan, was if our position is challenged in any way, we just kill the world. And that is their plan still. Uh, You know, they are maintaining that nuclear arsenal for nothing. And that's why I think fantasies of escaping America are just not viable. I guess, you know, they're not viable for a lot of reasons. It's actually harder than you think. Uh, Other countries don't need Americans who've been total, total failures at building a left of the United States to come to their country and bring their failure with them. Um, Yeah. You know, I mean, just the, 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 the contagion. Nobody wants you. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody wants you. Number one. Uh, It's hard to do. And I barely, they tolerate Americans as tourists because like, you know, they come and drop their money um and leave but like they don't want you around you know yeah yeah like certainly nobody in like cuba needs your fucking advice or nobody in like venezuela needs your oh, fucking God. advice. i wouldn't you know, like oh <laughs> i hadn't even i wasn't talking about god i hadn't even thought about cuba no. when i made that that little uh fantasy there that I, that's just be an insult to the human people me trying to move to cuba like i wouldn't i wouldn't <laughs> try and force myself on on the beautiful people of cuba and their revolution my god <laughs> 
<laughs> we used to have a nice beach. Um, but yeah, nobody needs our advice. All right. So, you know, and I, like I said, I mean, somebody's going to have to be here when the Cavaliers decide to end all life on the planet instead of not have 10 homes, you know, uh, yeah. you know, not have a, a 15th super yacht. Right. It's like somebody's got to be here to keep them from hitting the fucking kill all life button. And, uh, you know, that is probably realistically the historic task of the American left is just to be here in the end to keep the noble sacrifice. Essentially. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, so, but that being said, um, you know, just, just to get us off this very down, <laughs> this very depressing path we've decided to go down. Uh, let's look at what has been able to get accomplished. Uh, it turns out the Democrats can pass things when they want to. Uh, which is in the Senate this morning, I guess they within five minutes, they were able to pass a bill to uh, beef up security at the various justices houses, uh, the Supreme Court justices houses. So um, SEAL Team Six will now be guarding Brett Kavanaugh's house, I guess. Yeah, you, you saw the protests show up at uh, Kavanaugh's house and you were like, hell yeah, the bitch is back. Um, <laughs> and that's now turned into send in the Marines. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so that that's been the Democrats response to the, uh, you know, Roe v. Wade being overturned is to uh, send the Marines to protect these justices lives at all costs. I mean, look, we talked about various legal things the Democratic Party could do to stop this, which is like, I don't know, use their majority in the House and Senate and the fact that they have the presidency to <laughs> to pass legislation codifying Roe v. Wade in law. Right. Uh, having they could have done that any time in the last 50 years. Right. We've talked about all the legal things they could do. But let's be serious about politics here. Like, you know. There are other things, there are other buttons that Biden himself could push. Should he want to to make this not happen? Right. I mean, yeah, there's the reveal dirt. I mean, the FBI has huge files on every Supreme Court justice. I mean, Biden has that at his fingertips. He could press the release dirt button. Right. He could. I don't know. Obama pressed some buttons on American citizens that made them go away. I'm just saying, you know, like there are other options out there, too, that are the the not so cool part of our government uh, workings right now. They work every day. But miraculously, the Democratic Party, all they can do is send SEAL Team Six to uh, go shoot some like Unitarian church members outside of fucking Brett Kavanaugh's house. So, you know, that should let you know I mean, what their priorities are in the case of Biden. Jesus, we're not talking about just like an inept uh, Democrat who's more worried about like rules and norms and civility uh, than, you know, protecting bodily autonomy of Americans. You're talking about a doddering old Catholic who uh, has was always against abortion and, you know, only kind of had to sort of soften on that occasionally to run for office uh, and who is also certainly getting the like uh, we we need to fight a demographic war with China shit in his ears, too, and has for decades, I'm sure. Um, and so is probably thinking to himself, well, hey, you know, this is maybe this is my historic task is to uh, shepherd the country through letting this happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that is a better explanation than any of the ones uh, you've been getting online about why the Democrats can't do anything. I mean, it always 
It always is, Brian. It's always been because they want to, mm-hmm. you know? that That's the only way to understand the eight years of Obama. It, it's because they want to, you know? Yeah. It's not, it, at the end of the day, like, we can, the ineptitude just doesn't do it. I think, I mean, I'm, you know, uh, I think, you know, I think I was really convinced by the argument from Jenny Brown that you brought uh, to us last week about, you know, this being like a, a serious uh, top level capital ambition um, to increase birth rates in America. And I believe that that's in the ears of all these Democrats uh, as well. And it makes sense that that's part of how they justify going like, well, this is the hard medicine that, you know, America needs to take. Yeah. And in, I think, you know, when I say abandon, isn't diver- Pelosi a fucking Catholic, too? Oh, who knows? But I, I just assume they're all part of uh, the weird, you know, Moloch religion that Alex Jones is going on about. You know, one of those things where, uh, you know, Ale- Alex is right. They do all worship Moloch <laughs> and are freaks. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the- she's a serious Catholic. That cat. That that's a wild thing to think about that Catholics took over the highest levels of government in America basically over the course of our lifetime. That's weird. <laughs> it's a weird thing that happened. This is look, this is what the CIA was trying to prevent when they took out Kennedy. And they should have done it earlier when he first started running. Uh we should never let Catholics ascend to power. That that's mm-hmm. I'm I'm pro Kennedy assassination now. No, I mean, the funny thing about the Catholic shit is, you know, uh, churches in the U.S. are are always interesting because, look, I grew up Catholic. One, uh, we never went to church because that's what real Catholics do. And two, like nobody ever talked about abortion. Like abortion was not like an issue (laughs) that we discussed like or in any way. Um, But obviously in uh, certain other churches about the evangelicals, who cares, you know? Yeah, but go Uh, on, sorry, you know. Oh, no, no, I was just going to say, I mean, it's just a, a fascinating thing that this is, I, I, I think this has a danger of becoming just another culture war thing of like, oh, can you believe the Catholics? When it's like, I don't think 90% of Catholics give a shit about this or talk no, no, about it. No, it isn't. Like it's, that. This no, once again comes into weird upper middle class or upper class yep. project, you know, shit that you learn. You only learn in particular churches and particular neighborhoods and things like rich, that, you know, we weird, rich people. Uh, Catholicism has been used as an organizing tool by capital to achieve these kinds of conservative social ends, to train up and organize and justify and give a shape to the needs, the social needs of capital at this time. So, you know, by training up these weird, rich, conservative uh, lawyers, you know, to become these justices, um, uh, and it's been done through, you know, the, the structure of uh, a weird sect of American Catholicism. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's not to change the or to move direction here just a little bit. But, you know, in our last episode, just because, like, it was a two hour episode already for time reasons, there was a lot of directions we could have gone. And one of the things that maybe we gave a little short shrift to was this. Uh, idea that by overturning Roe v. Wade, that there was a lot of other little projects that could be accomplished uh, based mm-hmm. off of Alito's ruling, right? Like the particular way in which that ruling was written or that decision was written. 
And it's kind of interesting because, again, within a week, while the Democratic Party has done absolutely nothing, the Republican Party has uh, expressed all of its new wishes and desires. And one of the first things that is obviously going to hit the chopping block is several states have expressed interest or, you know, Republican legislators have expressed an extreme interest in wanting to ban access to contraception. Right. Um, Of course. I and I think that that is probably a very realistic uh, thing that could happen in the next four to five years, maybe two, maybe one to two years more realistically. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, banning access to contraception. Uh, there's an, again, you know, burbling up from the ground, uh, you know, of these uh, Republican swamps, right? A desire to ban gay marriage. I think that's probably realistic in a lot of states in the next few years. Yeah. Um, well, these are nationally, you know, Mitch McConnell's out there in interviews. Um, the big headline came out of a USA Today uh, interview saying, yeah, like, yeah, a, a national abortion ban is possible. And what that tells you. It's not that that's going to happen fucking next year or first hundred days of uh, Trump's second term, though it could. Uh, it's that it it belies the absurdity of the the Democratic, like liberal, like media class position on this, which is just like chill out. It's not a big deal. Like they they're just Republicans, conservatives in this country, they're doing politics day in and day out. They're moving the goalposts like before the fucking uh, ball is even spiked in the end zone. They're like, great, like advance another 10 yards forward. Like we're going over the fucking hill. Uh, does that mean they're going to pass a federal abortion ban? Like I say, first hundred days of Trump too. maybe not. But it's go- that's where the battle's going to be now. You know, like we talked about yeah. the Democrats, you know, giving up this territory over decades, just letting this move. Uh in a in this direction like this this does that uh that so maybe maybe this is the big a big culture war political fight where you know every time uh republicans have a control of either chamber of congress they're constantly passing a a federal uh, uh abortion ban that you know okay doesn't make it through but it's what they campaign on and then you know 10 years down the road Again, if it doesn't happen immediately, at some point, the trajectory is that. And it's not a, on a long time scale. So, like, uh, you got to draw the fucking line. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically, like, the 2024 Democratic campaign is basically be like, look, you have to vote God. for us or else uh, they're going to pass a federal abortion ban. I know it's already illegal in 12 states. And then in 2026, their whole pitch is going to be, look, you got to vote for us. So they can pass a federal abortion ban. I know it's already illegal in 20 states. And then it's going to be, look, they're going to pass a federal abortion ban. And I know it's already illegal in 30 states. But, you know, and they're just going to do that until they pass it, you know, with the Democratic president and Democrats controlling the House and the Senate. They're still going to pass it. And, uh, you know, whatever horrible app has taken Twitter's place will just be libs going, oh, but how, you know, look, how can we stop it? Uh, you know. 50 of our House members and all of our senators are, uh, you know, they just are they they want to do it. So what can we do? Right. Um, I, this has been the, the 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 process of the Democratic Party. Right. This is this is why mm-hmm. centrism, like the whole concept of centrism doesn't work because it assumes the center is a static position. 
as opposed to a position that is constantly pulled to the right, right? You know, one by the fact that the quote center of the Democratic Party hates the fucking left and is repulsed by it, and two by the fact that the Republicans are the only ones who do politics, the only ones that have goals, who have like you know any initiative to pass anything. And it's like so this and once it passes, that becomes the job of the center to protect it, right? I mean that's that's the reality of American politics, like how it functions. If you want to use these idiotic concepts like center or whatever it's like you know it's just like space force i mean the democrats control house senate and presidency and didn't just get rid of space force how fucking stupid is that a joke like president stupid. trump literally made it made a joke he will you watch tv you watch that stupid steve carell show or something like i don't know that came out afterwards like, but he made a fucking joke it was like we should have a space force it got passed somehow and the democrats could just know. get I rid of it but they, they could not. But somebody wants that. Some there's you know, some weird you know like, uh, some new like Curtis Lemay's at the Pentagon like want you know, want to have toys in space, and I'm sure it's part of you know like you said they're trying they their plan is to you know if they have to nuke the world that's how they're going to do it you know they want somebody up there wants this yeah yeah it's it's a Boeing purchasing program. To be sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I mean, but it's like one of these things is like once this silly shit gets passed, it becomes the job of of liberals, right, who see themselves as the maintainers of the status quo and of the system as is. Right. It becomes their job to protect it. Right. Once it passes. And, you know, that that is the sort of nature of the politics of the last 50 years and why it always moves to the right. Right. And um, it, it, you know. Like I said, cut ties to this fucking party. But on an interesting note, though, Greg, I mean, this is this is some local news. I know we've just been complaining about national stuff the whole time. But you did see that Boeing has now moved its headquarters to essentially to the Pentagon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that center in the middle of the Pentagon that's missing. They're just going to build it right in there. Uh huh. (laughs) That I mean, it's it's so funny. I mean, they I ultimately like you read the article and it's. They basically say this, but um, immediately, just to the headline, you're like, oh, they're basically giving up on uh, their passenger business. You know, they're there's they've seen oh, the yeah. writing on their own, the, their own walls inside their own buildings that they can't fucking make a, a plane that flies and said, well, we're not going to last long term here in the passenger market. We're going to get fucking absolutely demolished by the french and probably the chinese i mean this is a i mean huge opportunity for chinese plane manufacturers to gobble up uh uh boeing's share um you know and obviously the airbus is already fucking like you're, you're buying boeing because you're getting a deal you know not because it's the best plane out there uh they've just decided like that's not gonna work so we we we're just gonna have to bet everything on the only surefire business in the world which is selling shit that doesn't work to the pentagon on a cost plus basis you know yeah yeah in like previous decades i mean for the last 20 years ish you know in any given year defense you know like defense spending is a big part of boeing's budget right i mean boeing is essentially a national company right like in the sense that we (laughs) the state pays for it to exist but it was generally in the 30 to 40% of their revenue uh, category 
But I mean, moving from Chicago to, you know, DC, right, to Arlington, right, is essentially admitting that you see that as being a much bigger part of your budget in the future, yeah. right? Which I think, yeah, there's no way to read that other than we don't see a future for ourselves in commercial airlines anymore, at least a much smaller future than we did. And mm-hmm. uh, we're just going to be full-time Pentagon babies from here on out. Kick that. We want that to be 60% of our budget, of our uh, annual revenue and commercial to be like 30 or 40%, you know, like in that range. Yeah. And, they want to uh, be... They want to leverage everything they've got to get us into another full-on hot war that they can sell uh, shit to. Fucking send nukes into space to rain them down on China or Russia or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the other read you could have on it is uh, maybe Boeing is looking into their crystal ball and being like, you know, we might need some more nukes and planes here pretty soon. Uh, so good, good times, good times ahead. Uh, wow. This has been a real downer of a podcast, Greg. I gotta say, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) we got up early in the morning thinking we'd be bright and cheery, but it turns out it's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any good news to report. No good news. Um, look, uh, go out, you know, there's going to be, you know, there'll be protests about the Roe v. Wade stuff. I believe there's a big one on Saturday this weekend uh, coming up. And there's some other ones kind of, you know, that are happening. Uh, go to that. And when you go to it, do yourself a favor. Talk to somebody there you don't know. Okay? Somebody mm-hmm. that you haven't met before. Just just strike up a conversation with them. All right? Uh, maybe when you're at work, uh, instead of not looking your coworkers in the eyes as you shuffle around your workplace... Uh, talk to some of your coworkers. See how they're doing. Maybe uh, get their name. See if you can remember it. You know, those kind of I, that's an important first step. All right. So this is like that, you that telling mean, me to do this, this is, is like me telling you to like walk around the block and take a vitamin. This is yeah, this I know this is tough, uh, a tough pill for Seattleites to swallow, but um, we're going to have to get a lot closer as the years go by um otherwise we really don't got a shot uh, i mean one last thing i mean on this you know for a lot of libs who you know are maybe getting uh a little like uh pilled by this whole thing you know they don't believe the national democratic party can save them in any way uh they don't believe this is anything that happening that are you seeing this happening stop this. to anybody yeah there's a there's a third there's there's a third path that some libs are taking which is Retreat to the liberal enclaves on the West Coast. <laughs> Everybody mm, pay yeah, for people yeah. to move to Seattle. Uh, and the, the, the states and cities of the West Coast will protect them. And uh, I, I would Retreat. love to think that that like our, yeah, our national politicians are lost, but our local politicians, <laughs> Bruce Harrell, is gonna fucking, he's going to pick up the slack. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, uh, fucking. Uh, uh, Fucking Jay and Bob are going to save us all. Yeah. And uh, I mean, as laughable as that is, uh, maybe now is a good time to remember that every one of those liberal cities that you want to run to, that you pretend is some sort of, you know, that people fantasize. So, yeah, I should say for that, but people fantasize as some sort of leftist enclave uh, is occupied by an enormous army of right wing freaks armed to the fucking teeth 
with a license to murder you who are being encouraged by their mayors and governors, etc., to do so. So, um, you know, there, there is there's no retreat at this point, right? Like you, you get to know people. You're going to need to know people in the future. That's all I can say. You're going to need friends. All right. So go out to the protest. Talk to somebody next to you. All right. Reach out. Don't don't be such a weird loner. I know that you're listening to a podcast. We're doing a podcast, which means we're even weirder and lonelier than you are. But uh, <laughs> try try to try to do better. Try to reach out. All right. Well, on that note, I don't think we have. Uh, speaking of being loners, no new patrons today. So that's that puts a sad saddy on our face. But uh, you know, that being said. Why don't we just leave it here? Let's let's cut our losses, Greg. Let's let's get out. <laughs> Open up the escape hatch on your boat. Let's go out of it. Oh, Greg is very frozen. <laughs> <laughs>